Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees in a Multicultural Mess and Secular Scam. I hope you had a great day. Uh, it was a long weekend where I am and so um, it is. Uh, it was a great uh, break for me and I hope you had a great uh, break too, wherever you are in the world. Um, today we're going to talk about something different uh, that has is going to join what we... Uh, what we we've been learning or what we've been talking about. So the modern Middle East, um, America, Uncle Sam, and the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, so we'll get right into it and we'll go across all these subjects and we'll talk about it in, in a little bit of detail and so you'll understand the connection of all of them together. Okay, um, so the Middle East is always in the news these days, in some way or the other. Most of the population of our planet has no idea what is going on. Hence, they swallow whatever the cable channels dish out to them. It is not possible to enumerate all of the happenings in one chapter. However, having provided the outline of um, history of the Middle East, uh, it will give you a good comprehension of the modern geopolitical Middle East today in conjunction with the larger ideological and pontificating groups that roam this land. So we start with the bigger of the two ideological controlling groups controlling this region and their, and their geography. So the biggest ideological group controlling this region is Islam. Uh, the two very important geographical centers in the Middle East today are based on, on the ideological branches of this re of re religion, sorry, which controls the area. One of them is Iran. It is a very important place and a home base for Shia Islam. On the other hand, we have Egypt, a very important place historically and culturally in the modern world of Sunni Islam. Um, the most ideological the most important ideological location for Islam on the whole is the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia or KSA with its two holy sites of Mecca and Medina. Home of the Wahhabi sect of Islam practiced by the Ikhwan, the Brotherhood, um, in between of the Sunni of Sunni Saudi Arabia and Shia Iran is a buffer zone. We have all come to known as Iraq or prior to World War II formerly known as Ottoman Iraq. Population consisting of Shiite majoritively with a Sunni minority, all of which is northeast of Israel, a country which is the buffer zone itself for Egypt and North Africa to the south. Home to a very important geological player or partner in Islam and, um, sorry, a buffer zone itself for Egypt and, and North Africa to the south, home to a very important geopolitical player in Islam and a pan-Islamic headquarters uh, of the world known as the Muslim Brotherhood. So we also have in this region Israel, the most strategic location currently and historically in the Middle East. Um, and it's been the same for 2000 years uh, or even more home to the only official Jewish state in the world. It is also home to, the, to Zionism, a Jewish nationalist movement born out of the genocide of Jewish people for the last 2,700 years. Its ideological capital, Jerusalem, is considered a holy land to three religions, 
Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. So let's talk a little bit about Zionism, a national movement of the Jewish people that supports the reestablishment of a Jewish homeland in the territory defined as the historical land of Israel, roughly corresponding to Canaan, the Holy Land, or the region of Palestine. Um, now, in 1881, there was a rise in anti-Semitism in Europe. European nationalism gave way to empires breaking into city-states, as well as the, as so, as well as all over the Middle East and the Indian subcontinent. Okay, political Zionism, however, came to surface a decade later. An Austrian journalist by the name of uh, by the name of uh, Theodor Herzl proposed a Jewish state. Um, as the political solution for both anti-Semitism and a modern Jewish identity. His effort to promote this project failed to gain international support at the first Zionist Congress. Uh, only after his death in 1904 did the members of the, of the, did the, members of the Zionist uh, organization undertook an effort to foster and increase the Jewish population to southern Syria and Palestine. Um, which were still under Ottoman, was it Ottoman or Egypt uh, at that point of time, uh, to understand the currents uh, that underline a modern Middle East, we have to go back to 100 years. One very important person who connects all these groups and basically the founder of the pan-Islamic movement is known as Sayyid Jamal al-Din al-Afghani. Believed to be of Afghan origin and born near Kabul in 1838 or 1839. He became disenchanted with the Muslim world, their corruption, their, and preached a return to Islamic roots. Uh, typical of the Islamic power-centric mentality, he was said to be intolerant towards non-Muslim and the West, however, wanted Western sciences and universities to strengthen Islam. An Islam which was lagging behind every other ideological group led by corrupt imperialists on the decline and filled with beleaguered and impoverished ummah. The association of Islamic uh, imperial rulers within the, with the West aroused his apathy uh, even more. He died at the dawn of the 20th century. His reformist Islamic teachings from 1871 were the foundation of the pan-Islamic movement, which spurred on and influenced many a Muslim looking for a spark to gain a foothold, legitimize their agenda of totalitarian power enjoyed by Islamic imperialism in its heyday. One of these disciples was Muhammad Abdua, a future reactor of uh, rector, sorry, of Cairo's Al-Azhar Seminary. Abdua, who went on to become a pioneer, pioneer himself in the Salafi movement using social political approach. One of Abdua's students, Rashid Rida, was the first proponent of an Islamic state. Rashid Rida, writing great writings greatly influenced spiritually um, spiritu spiritually a man known as Hassan al-Banna the founder of the leading Islamist movement in the modern world commonly known as the Muslim Brotherhood 
So what is this Muslim Brotherhood? For people who keep in touch with the happenings of the planet, political or otherwise, we have come across this word in many a literature, the Muslim Brotherhood, officially known as the Society of the Muslim Brotherhood or Jama, Jamat al-Ikwan al-Muslimin. It is a pan-Islamic Sunni Islamist political organization with the goal of firmly installing the Quran and other Islamic ideological principles, that is the Sunnah, the Hadith, the Sharia, among others, into the lives of Muslims. Once done, their goal is to use their ideologically imprisoned human capital, who are relics of bygone Islamic empires. This human capital will be used to counter a new modern jihad through modern means along with its affiliates on other continents to resurrect their Islamic empire. Initially supported by Saudi Arabia, Pakistan and even Shia Iran, it is now allegedly supported and financed by Qatar. The Justice and Peace ruling party of Turkey is also alleged to be their political arm. They are also aligned with the Democratic Party of America, with its several le- with its several left-leading parties around the world. Uh, the Muslim Brotherhood was founded in 1923 by Egyptian Sunni Islamic scholar and school teacher Hassan Al Banna. He, along with other influential members like that of Sayyid Qutb, created this group after the fall of the Ottoman Empire and ending of the Islamic Caliphate by the founder of modern Turkey, Atatürk. It was a transition movement to end European administrative mandates in the Arab world, which filled the void after 400 to 600 years of Ottoman occupation and colonization, after the end of World War I. Basically, the Brotherhood is the modern version of the Umayyad and the Abbasid Caliphate. Uh, that is why some people call it the fifth Sunni caliphate, uh, caliphate, caliphate in English, caliphate in, in Urdu. As the Arabs were not able to have their way with the governor of Hijaj, recreating the ancient ca- caliphates in southern Palestine and in Syria, through to southern Yemen after the fall of the Ottoman Empire, we got the Muslim Brotherhood instead. All they wanted in the end was power, thinking that they would succeed just by using the Islamic name. However, they were not alone for that uh, hungry lust of power. There were plenty of groups who wanted to fill that void using the proxy label of Islam for a cover. A pan-Islamic political movement who tried to do it their own way. It is from them that we get the modern word Islamophobia. A modern way to replicate the ancient word Kufar, or infidel, to create the fear among their congregations as to not leave the fold, as well as divert the blame away from their own establishment. They quickly gained a foothold and spread through the planet, forming associates everywhere. They used the nostalgia of the ancient empires to reignite their now beleaguered ummah all over the Muslim colonies. Um, <clears throat> instead of introspection, and understanding why their colonial empire crumbled, they blamed the European colonialism and firmly pointed fingers at the West Christianity to lick their wounds and gain support. They played the victim card, the nostalgic card, and slowly gained footing to be where they are today. Today, they have, a franchi- they have franchise affiliates all over the world. 
in North America, we have the Islamic Society of North America, or ISNA. In Europe, we have the IFE, or the Islamic Forum of Europe. And in South Asia, we have the jamaat e islami uh, Sorry, that's jamaat e islami um, they, are also, they also have sister organizations, which are, the, are of the same pan-Islamic foundation, such as Hizbut al-Tahrir. The goal of the Brotherhood and their affiliates, officially or unofficially, is to be the sole Islamic organization in the world eventually that is committed to the mission and movement of spreading Islam, nurturing a way of life in the light of guidance from the Quran and the Sunnah for establishing a vibrant presence of Muslims. As Jamal Khashoggi is alleged to once have said, we are hoping to establish the Islamic State everywhere or anywhere, should I say. We believe that the first one would lead to another and would have a domino effect which would reverse the history of mankind. Well, he will reverse the history of mankind, all right. His barbaric demise will wake up the world who has gone to sleep unless a planet wants to become one big feudal Islamic State. Unfortunately, he got a taste of his own his Islamic historical medicine. What he wished on others is exactly what happened to him. It is exactly what Islam did and has done for 1400 years to mankind. This is a mirror image of what they will do to the world for the next 14 billion years to come and more. What is important to understand is that as an electromagnetic field, we all have at some point belonged to some empires who have done exactly the same. The home base of the caliphate of the Caliphate of the Muslim Brotherhood is also the geomagnetic center of the planet, Cairo. In reality, the goal is to use ordinary Muslims as civilian jihadis or warriors and soldiers, uh, as in uh, Mujahideen, thus through them take over the world. A goal to spread the colonial empire of Islam through culture, finance, violence, and more importantly, immigration and refugees, who would overbreed and take over civilizations one day. Once that happens, they would have totalitarian power over their congregations and eventually rule the land. Um, they call this the project, or in North America, towards a worldwide strategy of Islamic policy. In other words, take over the world and make the planet Islamic. So when Linda Sassou, the American-Palestinian, said on July the 1st, 2017, we are struggling against tyrants and rulers, not only abroad in the Middle East or the other side of the world, but here in the United States, where you have fascists and white supremacists and Islamophobes reigning in the White House. Civilization jihad by bringing down America and the Western world through fear-mongering and vessel of shame character assassination is what she meant. The project is a process of civilization jihad. The aim of this group in North America is to weaken and destroy the free and open societies within Canada and USA from within and replace them with a heavily politicized views of Hassel al-Banna, Said Qutb and the Muslim Brotherhood for money and power. The process of settlement, as they call it, is a civilization jihadi jihadist process with all the word means 
The Ikhwan must understand that the work in America is a kind of grand jihad in eliminating, eliminating and destroying the Western civilization from within and sabotaging its miserable house by the hands and the hands of the believers so that it is eliminated and God's religion is victorious over all other religions. Without this level of understanding, we are not up to the challenge and have not prepared ourselves for jihad as yet. It is a Muslim's destiny to perform jihad and work wherever he is, wherever he lands, until the final hour comes. And there is no escape from that destiny except for those who choose to slack. To make a long story short, they are the modern version of the Rashidun, Imayyad, and Abbasid Caliphate. Here are the, some, some of the few points that are founding principle of this group, the Muslim Brotherhood. Inflaming violence and keeping Muslims in the West in a jihad frame of mind. Okay. Um, supporting jihadi movements across the Muslim world through preaching, propaganda, personnel, funding, technical and operational support. Making Palestine and Kashmir a global wedge issue for Muslims. Instigating a constant campaign to incite hatred among Muslims and Jews and rejecting any discussions or, re or conciliation or coexistence between them. Collecting sufficient funds to, I to indefinitely perpetuate and support jihad around the world. Like donations, zakat, halal. Let me make a long story short. The Islamic ruling class, that is the political, theological class, is extremely rich. They have money and a reputation to go with it. They, are, they have been very organized. Um, groups with franchises everywhere. The reputation that precedes them is such. Their lobbies will buy out any government anywhere in the world. These governments will then close their eyes on their activities and let the Brotherhood organizations run their business through the back door and gain traction. They will let in refugees, exceed quotas for the immigrants, let them collect funding and take out money from the country to fund other activities internationally. Um, all this besides letting them set up ideological institutions such as mosques, uh, social institutions, as embassies to forward their agenda. The people or Muslims on the ground who are aware of what's going on have no choice but to accept it. <laughs> Thereby, they gullibly go on with this rhetoric, praying that it will, it will materialize and God will deliver them one day. It is normal this is after all their default settings. This type of behavior will happen only when you're isolated in a box. Intellectual isolation. They're error is that they never introspect and submit in silence. So like most of us, they keep quiet, silently take the doctrine to one ear while taking it out to the other. It however causes the same effect as secondhand smoke. It destroys you from the inside, eventually on the outside. In short, they are relics of empires. The empire is dead, but their divine departments are open for business and the brotherhood needs their human capital and financial capital of the Ummah to resurrect their empire. As, this, as if this was not enough, the Sunni Muslim Brotherhood movement went on to inspire another movement, and in a strange way, the Ayatollah Khomeini Ir Iranian Revolution of 1979. So, here is the context. 
1925, sorry, from 1925 to 1941, the Shah of Iran, empowered by his secularization drive, did everything to block the theological establishment from two centers of power where they have traditionally ruled the schools and the judicial branch. This alienated the clerics, the older and the younger generation. The clergy that had always been the front to legitimize the monarchy of the state were not happy. A small part of history was about to repeat itself. Another king on the Indian subcontinent, and also the Persian of Persian ideological thought, the Mughal Emperor Akbar, also known as Akbar the Great, the most well-known and powerful king of the Mughal dynasty, tried to do the same thing, but he started a new religion altogether, which he would then call um, Deen ilahi the religion of God, which was the his version of secularization, so hybrid of uh, three religions on the subcontinent. Um, Din e ilahi the religion of God, was a system of religious beliefs introduced by the Mughal Emperor Akbar in 1582. Uh, what he he really wanted to do was arrest power away from the hands of the clergy. So he tried to form a supposedly secular religion by combining elements of Islam, Hinduism into one faith, but also added aspects of Christianity, Zoroastrianism, and Jainism. That's basically 16th century uh, secularism. If our friend the former Shah of Iran was on an in, of, of the introspective kind, he would have learned some lessons from the past. But hey, welcome to our planet's th thirsty, ignorant, ideological establishments. However, one young Shiite cleric from Iran, Sayyid Mujtaba Mir Lohi, known, better known as Nawab Sa Safavi, uh, understood the dilemma and was quick to comprehend the actions of the Shah of Iran. Safavi established a group called Fad Fadayin-e-Islam, or the Devotees of Islam, another pan-Islamic movement to ide ideologically purify the Ummah, that which led to a populist movement against the Shah's regime, using the perceived corruptions of the Iranian monarchy to legitimize their agenda. This led to political assassinations for, for a 10-year period around 1955. They believed, of course, that Islam was the only religion to provide the perfect solution to every single aspect of, of humankind. They repelled modernity, democracy, while asking for unity of all Islamic factions, besides stressing on the implementation of the Sharia um, to bring about a perfect Islamic state. Uh, like during the time of the Prophet. In 1954, Safavi traveled to parts of the Arab world and territories within with significant Muslim populations. Uh, he was unimpressed by the harsh treatment reserved for the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. After returning to his native Iran, he introduced his new pan-Islamic ideology using the Muslim Brotherhood principles to a new generation of Shiite theologians. He used the Palestinian cause to legitimize his agenda like the rest of his theocratic co-religionists of his time. He believed that if they were to destroy Israel, they had to eliminate the Palafalari regime of that of the Shah of Iran. They propagated the view that the regime of the Shah was corrupt, 
and any associate of the occupiers of Palestine, that is the state of Israel, um, should pretty much be eradicated. Uh, this led to their Sunni twin organization, the Muslim Brotherhood, becoming the loudest critic um, of the Falawi dynasty and the Shah of Iran. However, the Salafi movement, uh, Safavi movement, sorry, laid the foundation for the 1979 Islamic Revolution of Iran. In the beginning, the theocratic establishment was divided between what they perceived as being non-conforming to the traditional Shiite teaching, as well as a dissident uh, in the spirit of jihadi Islam influenced by the Muslim Brotherhood, with a touch of Marxism. One of the early supporters of this ideology looking for power was a young cleric who we have all come to know as Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini the philosoph philosophical father of the 1979 Iranian Revolution. If Safavi and his pan-Islamic movement in the Fadayin-e-Islam had not supported and married the virtues of the Muslim Brotherhood of Hassan al-Banna to the Iranian Revolution, the world might never have seen the Iranian Revolution of 1979. So it was the Muslim Brotherhood, basically, who supported the Iranian revolution uh, to get us to where we are today. After his execution, the followers of this movement who arrived made sure to translate works of all like-minded pan-Islamic movements in the world, their scholars and founding members into Persian. They, these works from Sayyid Qutub, his brother Muhammad Qutub, Abdul Allah Maudidi from the Indian subcontinent were translated and became works of inspiration for the Persian resistance to the Shah. It also became the base for their requirement to install the Shiite Islamic State draped in Sharia. Um, and, and they are Shias, and even though they're Shias and ideologically op opposite to the Sunnis. So that was basically the foundation of how the 1979, the Muslim Brotherhood and the 1979 revolution of Iran came about. Um, another group that shaped the 1979 Re Iranian revolution was a South Asian arm of the Muslim Brotherhood known as the Jamaat-e-Islami and its founder, Syed Abdullah, Abdullah Maududi. All these movements culminated and gave us what is today the Islamic Republic of Iran. Initially, they all worked together, that is the Shiite movements, the Brotherhood, and the pan-Islamic scholars in the Arab world and South Asia, putting their differences aside. The re-establishment of the Islamic empire and its spread all over the planet was their initial goal. Through them, the mutual cooperation, the, the Muslim Brotherhood, have always looked to establish an Islamic state. However, their ideological differences always got the better of them. The Sunnis considered the Shiites to be heretics of Islam, as Sunnis used the Quran, Hadith, and Sunnah of the Prophet literally as well as for legal interpretations. Sunnis also used the Ijma interpreted through false schools of Islamic thought, while the Shias do not always depend on literal translations of the Quran and Hadith, and are used to slightly lesser extent along with... Um, along with and in conjunction with the interpretations of their 12 Shia Imams believed to have a direct connection with God. Shiite scholars have taken a lot from the Sunnis and come up with their own interpretations and scholarly works 
of the Quran. One very important scholar is the Iranian scholar Sayyid Muhammad Hussein Tabatai. Taba Tabai. Sorry about that. Regarded as a pioneer in modern Shiite Quranic interpretations, taking from Sunni interpretations of jihad, Islamic societies, jurisprudence, and Islamic justice. On other issues making an effort to stay the Shiite course uh, in modern in the modern sense. The outcome of this new thinking is said to have inspired many generations of Shiite clerics and many of them from the non-clerical class to open up to new interpretations and to meet the challenges of modern Iranian society. This led to a new, new school of thought that was spurned out from outside the clerical establishment by modern professionals. Once liberated from the stuck-in-their-home traditional Shiite embrace, the group sprang up uh, like Mujahideen-e-Kalak, uh, the Isla Islamic Socialist Organization, Iran's first prime minister and engineer after the 1979 revolution was part of this new generation. Clerics like Muhammad, uh, Mahmoud Taglini blended Shiitism and Marxism to produce new ideas for Iran and their version of modern Shiite Islamic society. This, was, this would have been the super alternative to each and every one of mankind's, mankind's problems. I absolutely love these fellows. Oh my god. Just a small little problem. This new Shiite th thought too was influenced by the Sunni thought and made a concrete emphasis on jihad and martyrdom. These being very two important parts uh, pillars of Sunni thought. Jihad and martyrdom. And our Muslim and our Muslim Brotherhood friends who also parade as destroyers um, of Western civilization. Unfortunately, the Shiite are drawn more into education and dialogue, which means violence and martyrdom technically comes last on the list. Their line of thought comes from Ali, the third caliph, and a son-in-law of Muhammad, who was all about dialogue. So this was not really going down very well with the local population. Like all groups looking for power, the coalitions they came from as a stepping stone to rise higher to, to to the higher echelons of power is always without any introspection. Their mutual political agendas, shared Islamic identity, last until they achieve their targets but eventually lead to cracks. The Shiite clerics realized that the theologians and congregations were moving away from Shiite Islam and towards a more heretic, dissident version of the Brotherhood. Once in power, however, they installed their own version of Shiite Islam and went and out when the pan-Islamic unity and identity, leading to an, a war in 1980, the Shia Sunni war that has never stopped. A war that we now call, now call the war on terror. At first, the Muslim Brotherhood supported uh, the Iranian regime only to suppress the Shah of Iran, who they considered anti-Islamic and more Western. The Shah was supported by America, who they despised as Christian crusaders. However, due to the doctrinal differences with the Iranian Shia Islam, the Brotherhood eventually became false. Around that time, Egyptian President Sadat, who came to power in October of 1970, was more lenient on the organization in an attempt to distance himself from his predecessor, the Egyptian President Abdel Gamal Nasser. Nasser. Nasser was aligned with the Soviet Union, but Sadat worked for stronger ties with the US, 
and the West and Israel. Nasser had condemned and banned uh, the Muslim Brotherhood, but Sadat tolerated them. Sadat, peace accord with, with Israel and the West, put the Muslim Brotherhood in a very compromising position. He was assassinated, which eventually led to Hosni Mubarak coming to power in Egypt in October of 1981. Mubarak's government took actions to suppress the Brotherhood again, and the movement had to go underground. Even as the influence of the Muslim Brotherhood increased, Mubarak opposed the organization, going so far as to amend the constitution and ban religious-based political parties. The Muslim Brotherhood had to move away for the second time to Saudi Arabia. The Saudis welcomed the dissidents to please its own Wahhabi clerics. They also found a home in the Islamic Republic of Pakistan, which was at the very first, which was the very first Islamic nation in the world. Pakistan trying to establish itself as a leader in the Islamic world and also a successor to the caliphate, uh, ca- uh, caliphate of the Ottomans. Uh, Pakistan was home based to another pan-Islamic uh, fundamentalist scholar, Sayyid Abdul Allah Maududi or Maulana Maududi. Once it moved away, the divide between the Brotherhood and the Shiite Islam increased and ne- it was never the same again. For his part, Ayatollah Khomeini made it clear that in any difference between Islamic law and interests of the regime, the ruling jurist is obligated to prioritize the interests of the regime and ignore the Sharia in Iran. Accordingly, the Islamic Republic of Iran considers it a priority to safeguard the regime more than the national and ideological laws. So the rise to power of the Ayatollah regime uh, to the detriment of the secular Shah of Iran, who had the support of USA, alarmed all Arab governments of the region and Islamic world. The majority of them being Sunni Islamic sect, Iran for its part is alleged to have tried to support, to export its brand of Shiite revolt to other parts of the Islamic world to upstage their governments. Governments with a sizable share of Shiite population, namely Afghanistan, Iraq, and Saudi Arabia. For those who don't know, I think, if I'm not mistaken, 10% uh, of uh, Saudi population is Shiite. Is it 10 or 5? Could be wrong. The Iranian Islamic regime claimed to be the sole leader of the entire Muslim world. Meaning the Islamic Ummah should be ruled by the Velayat-e-Faqih. Sorry. F-A-Q-I-H, I apologize, F-A-Q-I-H, which is the system of rule by guardianship of the jurists. Therefore, the regime called for an overthrow of all Arab governments in the Middle East. You've got to be stupid to do that. Uh, sorry to say that, but it is true. The Saudis came to know of this Iranian transfer of their revolt and take over through the back door. The Egyptians also supported Iraq militarily and economically. Uh, The Saudis strengthened their alliance with the U.S. and formed the Gulf Council Committee, GCC. The buffer zone between the Sunni governments and Iran uh, is Iraq, sometimes known as Ottoman Mesopotamia. The Sunni governments of the Middle East, supported through the back door by the United States, with whom they all now fell in love with to play their dirty proxy war joined hands and supported the president of Iraq, Saddam Hussein, 
who was a Sunni in an eight-year war with the Islamic Republic of Iran. Saudi Arabia intervened as they were not in the mood to let Iran uproot them from power on their own turf. They were not willing to go let go of the buffer zone that is Iraq to, to the Iranian Ayatollah regime. So they rallied their populations against Iran using the historical Shia-Sunni divide, which led to the now famous Iran-Iraq war in 1980 and 19, between 1980 and 1998. It left both sides damaged, the war was a stalemate, and all ado about nothing. But you see, this started with the, um, with the Muslim Brotherhood movement and the Iranian um, Iranian um, regime, the 1979 takeover of, of Iran by the Ayatollah Khomeini. Um, one very important virtue to note among Islamic groups, that which is common among all groups who seek power, is such. Each individual Islamic group, and there are many, is scared of the other group within the wider Islamic tent. At gaining power, each one wants to rise to power, not so much for themselves, but to stop the other from gaining power to their detriment. This constant power struggle on the inside is transferred to the populations below in hate speech, a brainwashing and suffocation of their congregations. This negativity is then transferred to the outside and to the external world. When the world retaliates, it's in order to camouflage their internal transgressions, they point the fingers at you with Islamophobia. What they are basically doing is channeling the war of power sorry, for power within Islam to you. Welcome to their wild world of politics. Um, so you see, this is the history of the modern Middle East, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood, Iranian Shia regime, and Israel and Zionism. And why am I telling you this? Because this is overflowed into the Indian subcontinent. And we know that Jamaat Islamia is very strong in the subcontinent. They are supported by their ideological cousins, the Muslim Brotherhood, and who now controls um, the ruling government in Canada and in the United States of America. So they've got power. They can do anything because their governments, their allies in power, who actually are their slaves in, in reality, uh, all them votes uh, need their votes. So the moment they need votes, they're going to do whatever that these people say, even if the votes are a small percent, but they're majority in, in, in government, uh, of, the, of the left government in, in Canada and the United States. Uh, they've got small majority, so they need these Muslim brotherhoods and they need their votes. And so they will do anything what they say. And which means they are being used, the, these Canadian and American governments are used to run the agenda of the Muslim Brotherhood on the Indian subcontinent. And that's why you see someone like Ilan Omar, who went to Pakistan with absolutely nothing but ideological gibberish. Uh, Pakistan is a country that is falling down in, in, in miserably economically. They've got no money left. Unfortunately, they're going bankrupt. And however much you like them or don't like them, look, they are our brothers, they are our neighbors, and you have to feel sorry for what the local man on the ground is going through. Did Ilan Omar take anything, any economic program for Pakistan? No, absolutely nothing. Because she doesn't care about them. She, she got any hope for them? Nothing. What she took for them? What did she go there for? To talk about Kashmir. You're, you have a country that's coming down in, in the 
economically, financially bankrupt. What are you going there to talk about Kashmir? They have no food to eat. They have no food to pay the bills. You're going to ask them to create a war in Kashmir. You have no sense or you do have sense because she doesn't care about Pakistan. She knows nothing about economics, although she's very educated. Uh, she doesn't care about anything except her ideological power to, 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 to show that the Muslim Brotherhood is still very strong and backing them uh, uh, fully. And she went there not as a representative of the United States government. She went there as a representative of ISNA and uh, CARE, which is the um, Islamic Society of North America and the Muslim Brotherhood. So that's what she was doing there. For those who don't know, uh, Jinnah, when he first got Pakistan, did something very important. He he cut across and, and contacted uh, as many Islamic governments or Islamic leaders um, with whatever sort of power to support him in this new Islamic state, which was the first Islamic uh, country in the world, uh, that is Pakistan. So Jinnah reached out to Hassan al-Banna. He reached out to Hassan al-Banna uh, to join uh, arms, to get to join hands together, to join, uh, to become friends, and to support each other. So, for those who say that is Jinnah wanted a secular country, you are wrong, my friend. Behind this, behind this speech, he went and contacted Hassan al-Banna, who was uh, the ideological founder of uh, the Muslim Brotherhood, and so from that they have spawned a, a friendship that goes back uh, 75 years and their funding for the ISI, the Mujahideen in Kashmir, the funding for Islamist tyrants and terrorist groups um, comes from the Muslim Brotherhood. So you see why Ilan Omar went all the way to the Indian subcontinent. She doesn't really care about the people on the ground. She doesn't even speak Urdu. She speaks no Hindi, no Urdu. She just came there for a publicity stunt and to to because she does she the only thing she knows is Kashmir 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 and Palestine that's the only thing she knows she is not there for the United States she is not there for Somalia her own country she is doesn't care that it's Somalia is in tatters but she came there to support an ideological partner uh, and to show the Muslim Brotherhood support uh, because. Uh, the ideological president of uh, the Muslim Brotherhood allegedly is is the president of Turkey, but he can go to uh, he he can go all the time to 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 Pakistan. So she goes in his place, and she's very powerful, well known. So you know it was a ideological trip uh, supporting the um, Muslim Brotherhood and the care to the back door, and here we go. Unfortunately, it's not going to solve Pakistan's wars, but it is what it is, and unfortunate, and and we have to live with it. So, for those who don't who who don't know much about the Middle East, this is just part of the history, uh, the modern history, should I say? Because, you know, uh, medieval history is is huge, and I will get to that one day. But it's really massive. This is the modern history. Uh, there is a couple of more parts and I will go into this. So this one is uh, for today. I hope you had a great time, took down notes um, and, and you can research all of this as much as you want. And talk to your friends, your people, at least five friends, talk to them, um, ask them to talk to others, spread the message, understand what's going on, understand the history and you will heal. Thank you very much for your time. You have yourself a great day.